This is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. Welcome everyone to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. I'm Ryan Muhammad, writer and moderator of Becker's Healthcare. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have with me today, Tim Plant, Senior Vice President and Division Chief Nursing Officer at Midwest Division Common Spirit Health. Tim, very nice to have you on the podcast today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, too good to start it. Would you mind please introducing yourself and telling us a bit about your background? Absolutely. So I am the division uh, CNO for the Midwest Division, um, and that's of Common Spirit Health, which um, is a national organization providing not-for-profit health care um, across the country. Um, like you can tell by my title, I am a registered nurse. I've been so um, for about 20 years now. I got my start as an LPN for a short time before, you know, going on and um, getting uh, my my RN degree. Um, since then, I've gotten uh, my BSN and then two masters. One have an MSN um, and then I have an MHA as well. I am originally from the West Coast, so I uh, was uh, raised in the Seattle area where I worked for um, a the Common Spirit. Uh, subsidiary, uh, the Franciscan Health System at the time, um, where I sort of uh, grew up as a nurse. I was an ICU nurse there, and um, where I then went into management, where I was a clinical manager. I worked in an ED as the director um, before I was the CNO of that hospital there. Back in 2016, I decided to make a small move. Well, maybe not so small to some folks, but I moved to Nebraska from Washington State. And I did that to take a role as a a critical access hospital um, CEO. Um, So had a lot of learning there and then um, was the chief nurse at St. Elizabeth in Lincoln before moving into this division role um, with uh, Common Spirit Health in the Midwest division. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for giving us all that insight. Definitely sounds like you're busy. So the first question I wanted to ask you is, can you tell us about your most successful project or initiative from the last year? What issues were you trying to solve? And also, what drove the success? Absolutely. So I believe from the bottom of my heart that if you are able to engage your frontline staff, and so these are the folks that are the clinical experts, um, physicians and nurses, and all the other uh, disciplines that contribute to the team, if you're able to engage them and put decision making where I believe it needs to be, which is with um, your staff, um, only good things come from that and you end up uh, with more success Um, than say if you um, decide to do perhaps a top-down initiative or something, um, you know, where where you don't rightfully engage uh, those those frontline teams. And so to do that within our health system, um, we have built a a system shared governance. And so just to give you an idea, we are a 28 hospital system um, where we operate in four states. Um, and, And I saw the need to, you know, really uh, bring everybody together from a nursing perspective. We are only as good as um, as the team, and um, we're 
often, in most cases, the largest part of any hospital or hospital system, healthcare system workforce. And so at, having a collective voice is a very powerful thing um, for, for nursing. So um, we created a system process where our hospitals have um, councils, the units on the hospitals have councils, and then we have a system council. And um, this is all consisting of frontline staff, and they're able to um, participate in change management processes, but they're also able to um, bring the voice um, of our bedside staff through this process um, all the way up to the system level where decisions are getting made. Um, like I said, this, this really promotes frontline ownership and leadership, right? And so you're able to, um, through the, the different delegates that participate in this, you are able to build a, um, you, you know, a, a network or a team um, that also helps, you know, identify your leaders of tomorrow. So as they start to, to, to work with other hospitals and bring their ideas to the forefront and then actually see them get put into action, that's, that's very powerful. So our system uh, shared governance team has three different councils. We have evidence-based practice and research. Um, that's one. We have a professional practice group. And then we have a, a team that works on uh, what we call triple R, recruitment, recognition, and retention. Um, and, and, and these three teams have done so much. We've seen changes to order sets um, or processes in our EMR. Um, we have implemented many different practice changes um, all the way from, you know, I, you know how we, we do a, a dressing change for a, a central line to um, alcohol um, order sets um, for alcohol withdrawal. Um, and, and probably most, our biggest achievement is the implementation of a clinical ladder, um, which we affectionately called uh, the PNAP, and that stands for Professional Nurse Advancement Pathway. This was literally created by a team of bedside nurses that saw a need for professional growth, um, but they also saw a need for some sort of incentive. And so uh, through a yearly process, um, our bedside staff can put in a, a package where they have to uh, participate in different professional activities from poster presentations to research to just you know attending your staff meetings and and committees and you build a point profile and they can actually earn up to four thousand dollars a year uh, doing this and so um, we just had our second um, our second payout is happening this month and so we're really proud of that and uh, just so many different initiatives we've been able to bring um, you know to to the level of decision making and change that we're really um, organic and growth and 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 the ideas belong all to our bedside staff yeah that sounds absolutely amazing congratulations on that success Thanks. as you know the clinical workforce has changed a lot in the last few years what challenges are you still facing how do you see the clinical workforce evolving yeah it has been a very tumultuous few years and you know over the course of my 20 years in the profession I would say the last three have been the most challenging. And, you know, for a long time we've been saying, you know, if there's any constant in healthcare, it's change. And I don't, I don't know of any other time where that's been um, more prevalent in our, um, in our profession. You know, we are in a post-pandemic um, period. Um, COVID-19 and how we took care of patients and how we addressed issues and how we communicated really everything um, that, that leaders need to be working on, um, the, the pandemic changed everything. We lost a significant amount of our experienced nurses. 
Um, evidence is still unclear as to why that happened, but uh, I know our re the re researchers in the profession are working on it. But opted out, opted out of nursing, opted to go do other things or, you know, change careers or maybe just, you know, um, not be a nurse anymore. And we saw a lot of our experienced nurses leave. And so what what that did is, um, you know, it, it, it two things. Um, it the wisdom and uh, that, that that you get by being doing this for many years. Um, is very important as you look at safety and quality of care. And when you had so many of our experienced nurses um, decide to go do other things, you know, we've been able to catch up with staffing, but our staffing workforce, our nursing workforce is much, uh, much newer, much younger. We've seen a significant decrease um, in years of experience and, um, and, and that correlates to average age. Um, and, and I am really excited that we have a new, you know, uh, uh, invigorated nursing workforce, but I'm also very concerned that our experience level and our knowledge um, has, has taken a hit through, through this process. And so um, I think that the main challenge that we're facing um, as, as, as nursing leaders and healthcare leaders is how do we equip this very new, um, in some cases, inexperienced workforce with the tools and the processes to still achieve safe outcomes for our patients? How do we um, achieve that high reliability um, organization that most of us are, are, are seeking? Um, and and, and so, I, so, so this is evolving day by day. Um, right now, I, I think the answer is we need to develop job aids um, for these um, nurses and healthcare workers that can um, help make sure that you're thinking of everything. So this could be, you know, best practice advisories in the EMR um, checklists. I think there's a lot of room for us to use more checklists in, in healthcare, much like aviation has done. It really does result in safer outcomes. We've struggled with that in healthcare. We've struggled getting checklists to be a part of our day-to-day -day work. Um, but most of what we do is evidence-based. There is good science behind it if we would only follow a process. It's when we deviate from that, when we forget things or we don't notice things, you know, these small changes in our patient's conditions um, might go unnoticed because we might be skipping steps or we might be, um, you know, focused on something else and not looking at the whole picture. So, so our plan is to keep evolving our workforce um, and, and making sure that we're giving them the right tools um, that really doesn't substitute experience and wisdom. We have to rebuild that, but we still need to keep patients safe. Um, so that's, that's what we're working on. Yes, definitely an important thing to work on always, um, even throughout the year. So thank you so much for sharing that insight. And Tim, before I let you go, the last thing I wanted to ask you is, what is your best advice for aspiring physician and nurse leaders? You know, there, there's so much opportunity out there for physician and nurse leaders. I think that, you know, over the years I've, I've, I've learned a lot, but I continue to be humbled and uh, every day as I, um, you know, uh, engage in the team. So I, 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 have a, I do have a couple of pieces of advice here. So the first one is something I'm still working on every day, and that's to um, have a vision. We need to have visions. We need to share it with our teams. 
Now, our, our visions need to be aligned with that of the organization, the mission, and the values, and our leaders, you know, uh, their visions, but we need to be able to articulate where we're going um, to our staff and, and, and to all the folks that report to us. We need to be able to say why, um, because people will rally around that. Um, it's important to have a very well thought out um, st strategic um, plan and vision so that um, you know, provides the roadmap. And then, of course, uh, we may not be working on all the tactics, um, depending on what level of leadership you're at, um, but constantly reinforcing that. So that's number one. Number two is to place decision making as much as possible with the frontline caregivers. Um, I will say this is takes extra work. It's much easier to make a top down quick decision um, and engaging more people can lengthen a process. But Every time that I make the decision um, to not engage our frontline staff and physicians, it always takes longer um, to, to get the buy-in, and it often um, fails because, because of just that, that we didn't rally the right support and get the right advice. Anyone can be a captain when the seas are calm, right? So I was in the Navy uh, many years ago, and when things are going well, um, it's just that. It's, it, it's not hard to be a leader. It's when times get tough or you're faced with adversity where you really got to lean in, um, rely on the vision of your leader and your own vision um, and get those frontline leaders um, engaged and the frontline staff engaged. And the last piece of advice I'd have is to be obsessed with safety. Um, sometimes when you see something happen, for instance, patient falls, when you start to see that happen over and over again, um, or, you know, that we miss counts in the OR, or, you know, we're copying, pasting in the EMR, all these, these things, that it becomes normalized, right? And so, so you often kind of accept the fact that patients fall and get injured, and, and, and I'm not okay with that. I think we need to be obsessed with improving um, the safety for our patients, but that means you got to pay attention and you got to talk to people and you got to learn um, where these safety issues are. So somebody within the organization, hopefully everybody, needs to be obsessed with patient safety um, to make sure that it stays in the forefront. Thank you so much for those final thoughts, Tim. This has been an amazing discussion. So again, I want to thank you so much for coming on Becker's Healthcare, and I look forward to connecting again with you soon. Very good. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.